This is HPR episode 1698 entitled FOTSIM 2015 part 2 of 5 and is part of the series interviews. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 46 minutes long. The summary is, Open Mandriva, Majakt, Debian, Puppet, called Diaspora. This episode of HBR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Okay, hi everybody, this is Ken again at Foss Downgate Building. I'm at the Open Mandriva project and I'm talking to... Pero. <laughs> hi, how are you doing and what's your involvement with the Open Mandriva project? So I've been a developer on this project for the last two years. Mm-hmm. I'm maintaining a lot of packages, just jumping in wherever something is needed. Mm-hmm. I'm primarily maintaining our tool chains. <laughs> okay, and what is Open Mandriva for people who don't know? OpenMandriva is a Linux distribution that is aimed primarily at desktop users, but also at developers. Uh, so we are trying to be as easy to use as possible while also being a technically sane system that everyone can develop on. Its, um, it's history is in Mandrake, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. How so, did it, so what happened? A lot of things happened. Uh, so initially... Uh, Mandrake Linux started out as being a fork of Red Hat Linux that included KDE at a time when Red Hat said, no, we don't want to do this. And then uh, it developed a life of its own, uh, attracting more and more changes uh, until essentially the Red Hat heritage is no longer visible. Then at some point there was uh, legal trouble over the name because there was a comic strip called Mandrake the Magician and they owned a trademark on it. So the distribution changed its name to Mandriva. And a few more years later, the company uh, that was running Mandriva went out of business and uh, we turned the project over to the uh, open source community. And now it's Open Mandriva as a pure open source project without corporate backing. So why would I use this rather than running Fedora or something? That's a good question. The other distributions are doing a pretty good job as well these days. But there's a couple of really unique things about Open Mandriva. Uh, one is uh, we are totally focusing on KDE and LXQT desktops, not so much on GNOME and uh, the other things you will find in other distributions. And... Uh, we are using more modern tool chains. For example, in our current development release, uh, we are transitioning from GCC to Clang as the primary compiler. All right. the, uh, this is probably not very interesting to a desktop end user, but for the developers, we found that Clang provides much more usable feedback when there's a compiler error or compiler warning. And just recompiling the distribution with it has helped find around 150 bucks. Oh, very interesting. And uh, 
Does everything compile with it, or do you, have you run into anything that just simply won't work and you still need to use GCC? We still use GCC for a couple of things, and it's not like GCC is a bad compiler. Yeah. <laughs> but most of the things just compile some others... Uh, Either use broken code, like uh, relying on some standard non-compliance that GCC tends to accept. uh, Some other stuff just uses GCC-specific features like nested functions. Getting rid of those is sometimes a little bit complicated. But uh, we only ran into one package that actually caused a compiler bug that uh, just caused a compiler error that shouldn't be there. Okay. And what's the uh, what's your stance on um, like the Debian project tries to keep everything free? Uh, do you have have uh, closed repositories for for non-free software, or how does that work? Yeah, we like to keep everything free, but at the same time, we think that uh, people should also have the freedom to keep their old hardware that they purchased for use with Windows. Yeah. So. Um, we make drivers and stuff that are not available in the free world, available in a separate repository, and people can install those easily. It's not an ideal solution, but it's a good step in a transition towards a totally free world. Yeah, gotcha. So what else have you got in your stand here? What are you showing off today? So this laptop is running our current development release, uh, the one that has uh, been built completely with Clang. You can see the LXQT desktop here. The, uh, that's a relatively new desktop environment the, in the lightweight the area. QT uh, beginnings. Yes. <laughs> here we have our current uh, production release 24.1 uh, running on a want board, which is a super cheap ARM-based development board. Okay. So that's a relatively new port. Traditionally, we've been only in the x86 world, but now we are starting to support ARM and also ARC64. And uh, how uh, have you many people working on the accessibility of that? How, uh, How accessible is your distribution? We don't have that many people working on accessibility yet, so the... In the first steps, we have to make it really usable for 99% of the people, and then uh, once we are really satisfied there, we will uh, also work on making it better available to the other people. Yeah, the problem with that logic is that uh, you never get it ready for the 99%, so there's very little focus on that. But if people were to submit bugs uh, related to, um, we do have, because we're a podcast, obviously we have a lot of accessible uh, people with accessibility issues listening to the show. So I've been told to ask these questions, so bear with me. Um, If they were to uh, identify a bug in OpenMandriva that prevented something like Orca running or um, an accessible uh, text-to-speech engine, is that something that you would be uh, at least open to fixing? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, if there's some volunteer who wants to work with us on it, uh, that would also be great. Right now, um, we are interested in it. We will fix bugs. We will accept contributions. But we just don't have the manpower to do everything at the same time. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Is there anything else that... uh, Are you going to be giving a talk here or are you going to be on the booth the whole time? Yes. uh, Tomorrow I'm going to give a talk on our switch from GCC to Clang. So... 
lots of uh, details there, like uh, what particular packages had any problems or uh, how we are supposed to fix them, what you can do to make code compile and uh, where we found bugs. <laughs> okay, excellent stuff. Thank you very much for the interview and uh, good luck with the uh, presentation tomorrow. I think they're all going to be online for our listeners, so they'll be, if you're interested in this uh, CLang talk, I'll try and put a link into the show notes. Okay, thank thank you very much. Hi everybody, this is Ken here. We've just uh, moved from Opamandriva and we're talking to Magia. And your name is? Sorry? What's your name? Oh, I'm Anne-Nicola. And who are you here representing? I'm representing Magia Distribution. What is Magia? Oh, it's a big story. Uh, Magia, in fact, is uh, is a fork fork distribution from uh, Mandriva. Okay. So we are now for five years nearly, and uh, we we just uh, we, we work with uh, most of the old Mandriva community. Yeah. And uh, we are trying to do the best to to have a, a nice distribution for our users. So what is it based on? What's the desktop? Um, well, we, de- we, we decided not to decide anything. So we are providing uh, GNOME, KDE, and light environment like uh, uh, Enlightenment and uh, XFCE and things like that. Okay, and it's an RPM-based distribution, but it's, you can't install RPMs from Fedora, for example. Uh, yeah, it's RPM distribution, and uh, you have to use a Magia RPM. You cannot mix with uh, other distribution because there are specific builds uh, on uh, specific libraries, so it would be a mess if you use uh, some other RPMs on it. Okay, and um, what is your relationship with the Open Mandriva project, which is right here beside you? Well, frankly speaking, we have no relation for now um, because, uh, well, things were a bit tricky when uh, the fork happened. So uh, we decided not to have such discussion to avoid uh, to avoid a bad discussion between people. But it's beginning to cool down a little, I hope. Yes, yes. <laughs> At least you're uh, next door to each other. Yeah, yeah. FOSDEM people <laughs> love to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, are you going to be giving any talks here yourself? No, not this year. Uh, have you in the past? Uh, I had one year, I think it was the second year, to present uh, Magia and explain people why we did that and how we are organized. Okay, and why would you would you recommend that I would run um, run your distro? Uh, wh- why? Why would I want to? Oh, okay. Fedora, um, we we try to make this community very friend- friendly yeah. uh, on every side. I mean, on user side, on developer side. So uh, we are we do not have a, a big expectation when you enter the community, and you can uh, learn how to package, how to test, and things like that. So we try to uh, to learn people how to make open source, and that's uh, that's uh, a good deal, I think. Okay, fantastic. Do you have? Um, we have because we're a podcast. We have a lot of yeah. uh, people with accessibility issues who uh, whose vision is not the the best. So, how accessible is uh, Mandia? Uh, we try to uh, to make it accessible using all the open source stuff uh, for it. And uh, as we are based on Mandriva, we had people in some years ago who made some work, for example, in installer and things like that, to make it accessible. Um, maybe we are not good enough at, at this, and 
it's always the same problem. We are looking for users to test and make some feedbacks, uh, and so we, we need uh, dis- disabled people to uh, to help on it. And so, if someone wants to help us, then it will be great. Okay, so if uh, if some of our users identify bugs, yeah. they can just file a bug, and then you will. You will react yeah, to those. Yeah, of course, of course. Okay, you heard it here, folks. Listen, thank you very much for the taking the time, and good luck with the rest of the show. Okay, thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Ken Fallon, and I'm at the KDE stand, and I'm talking to. Hello, I'm Jonathan Riddle. Your name sounds remarkably familiar. It seems almost as if that I recorded uh, an interview with you last year. I seem to remember, yes, that I was on the interview last year, and I'm back again this year for another fabulous false time. Excellent. So what has happened, uh, for those, for the few people who don't know what KDE is, can you give them a, a quick rundown? We're a happy open source community making quality free software uh, for the end user. And the major change in the last year is we've released a new version of Plasma, Plasma 5, our, our flagship desktop product. Uh, it, we're demonstrating it today. It is beautiful, functional. Uh, it has all the nice slidey swooshy bits that people expect out of software these days. Um, but it retains the same familiar user interface. You know where your application menu is. You know where your taskbar is. You know where your system tray is. So it doesn't it doesn't revolutionize the, the layout in the way that many people try and many people go, oh, I don't quite understand this. Uh, so it's all very uh, intuitive to, for people to use. Okay, and do you have the hardware requirements that GNOME has or can you happily go along with relatively low-spec hardware? I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to disparage GNOME, of course, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's built on Qt, which is the the world class uh, graphical toolkit, um, and that is that is wonderfully efficient. Uh, of course, these things sit on top of a large, complex stack, so it always depends on things like the the X drivers. Um, and one day it'll be ported to Wayland any day now, and that will solve everybody's problem. Um, so it works very nicely on low-end hardware, where and I use it on a netbook and I use it on other rubbishy stuff. Um, but of course, it, experiences will vary depending on other bits of software that, that it depends on. And the underlying, you're still based on the Ubuntu infrastructure? Well, I, there are many KDE distros. Yes. Uh, I happen to work on Kubuntu, which yeah. is the, the original and best community uh, flavor from the Ubuntu uh, project. Yep. Um, and we work very closely with KDE as an upstream, which is why, which is why my Kubuntu banner is right next to the, the KDE stall here. Yeah. Um, so I'm both a release manager for KDE Plasma, and I'm a release manager for Ubuntu, um, and specifically for, for Kubuntu. Yeah. Um, and we, we now have daily packages of all the, all the Plasma 5 and other KDE software that's been ported to Qt 5. We, we build those every day, and so uh, the developers who want to try out the latest software and make sure their bugs are fixed, they, they come to us because we are building their, their software um, on the Kubuntu continuous integration system. Um, and that means that when a KDE release happens, we are, we've already packaged it because we package it every day automatically. Um, so we, we like to think that we work very closely together and very well together. And I've heard that the um, QT5 is a lot better from an accessibility point of view. Uh, yes, Qt5 implements uh, various, various internal programming interfaces for accessibility and it means that it talks very nicely to uh, Orca for example which is the screen reader tool and we've our Plasma 5 desktop that has been um, 
made so that uh, all the widgets talk nicely to, to Orca behind the scenes, and that means that Orca will literally talk to you when you when you bring it up, so blind people, visually impaired people can use the desktop uh, in the way that they're used to. And if you notice a bug in this, you can submit it to the project and it will get dealt with in the fullness of time. Mm, of course, and we have a wonderfully active Plasma team who are working on this, and so you can report bugs on the on bugs.kd.org. You can come and chat to us on the uh, on IRC channels. We have a Google Hangout meeting every Monday, so you can come and chat there and tell us your experiences. Um, and we well, have Google Hangout, unfortunately, isn't accessible. Oh, is it not? No. Oh, I'm very sorry. Then, then but do you have IRC? I presume. Then we have IRC clients, and sure. we are happy to use any other communication medium that that is requested. Excellent. Um, how was the how was the sponsorship working now? It was relatively new last year. Has it stabled out? It, are you comfy with the whole way the funding, your funding in particular, is going? Uh, Kubuntu is, is it's an open source project. KDE is a community project. Um, so uh, to that extent, it doesn't depend on any given company, um, and the projects are all relatively independent. Um, Kubuntu, of course, did have its primary sponsors being Canonical. They stepped back from a lot of parts of it, um, and now Blue Systems sponsors a lot of it, um, and that's working really well. And right. And because they sponsor both Kubuntu and other stuff in KDE, it means that I get a chance to work with KDE. So I'm working in a Barcelona office now. KDE has an office there. And it's for use for any KDE community member. So we have people who come in um, to work on whatever projects they have. And it means that they're able to ask for help by tapping somebody on the shoulder rather than hoping that they can help them over IRC, which is often a lot more efficient. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Are you giving a talk here, or are you going to be stuck on booth duty? I'm going to be on the stall all weekend. Uh, There's a talk about uh, Je Compris, which is a project that is new to the Kitty community and has been ported to Qt and Qtquick and Android. So we're demonstrating Kitty software on Android today. Show me that. What what is Je Compris? Uh, it's an educational software. It has um, various games and educational apps for learning. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if the demonstration's been set up yet. Uh-huh. Uh, but but it's an example of Kiddie software. I'll come back. We don't just make software for the Kiddie Plasma desktop yeah. or Linux desktops. We make software now for Android and other other environments too. Also Windows, which seems a bit odd to me. We're a free software community. We freedom is what we do, and if people want to make it on Windows, fabulous. Then then that That's increases the use of our software. Excellent. Look, thank you very much for the interview, and I'll uh, catch up with you next year. Thank you. Hi everybody, this is Ken. Um, we've just left the KDE booth. Now we're at the Debian booth and um, I'm talking to... David Bremner. David, what is Debian and what is your involvement with Debian? Well, uh, Debian is a distro, so a Linux distro. I guess everybody who's listening to something called Hacker Public Radio knows what a Linux distro is. Could be a good assumption, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, Debian is, uh, I guess, uh, one of the largest community-based distros, so it's in some sense both uh, community and uh, although not everybody likes the word, it's also a political organization in the sense that it has goals which are uh, not purely technical. So, so it has goals connected with software freedom. Uh, and everybody has, of course, slightly different ideas about what this means. But, so that's, I guess, the short version of what Debian is. 
You're one of the longest running distros out there. Uh, the You're one of the longest running uh, Linux distros right, out there. Right. I mean, not as old as uh, Slackware, for yeah. example. Or, or I mean, one. <laughs> we we would lose a contest of who is the ancient mariner of, yeah, yeah. of distributions. I guess. So it's been a busy old year. There's been some controversy in the Debian uh, community. Sure. I guess I've been around long enough to see this sort of thing come and go. So, as has Debian as a whole. I mean, myself, I've only been a developer uh, since 2005. Uh, so, and involved for a few years more before that as a volunteer. But this was my first uh, big political storm. Uh, so. I mean, so what was it about, if you can give people a quick rundown? So, uh, like uh, most Linux distributions, uh, Debian recently decided to uh, switch to uh, SystemD as a default in its system. Um, and this was a, not an easy or obvious decision for us for um, various technical reasons. Um, so uh, Debian tries to do things uh, in particular. Uh, we support several radically different kernels, which, uh, I mean, we're actually the not just uh, a Linux distribution. We also have uh, herd effort and uh, BSD-based kernel effort. And uh, these are, in some sense, left out in the cold by, by uh, SystemD or... I mean, I don't want to sort of reignite the whole thing, but uh, certainly there's no support for non-Linux kernels out of the box by, by SystemD. And uh, it seems unlikely that there will be upstream much support for non-Linux kernels. I mean, that's more or less my limited understanding, part of the, the sort of explicit design parameters of SystemD is, is that in order to do as good a job as possible on Linux to not try and do other things. So. Okay. Boss, life will continue, I'm uh, Of course. Uh, and I, so, I mean, there we lost uh, a few developers. Uh, and I guess the, it's hard to know in a long, in a volunteer project. Uh, I mean, you have one or two uh, people who visibly say, "All right, well, I'm, you know, not going to be involved with Debian in the same way any, anymore." Um, but I guess the bigger question is the sort of, you know, thousands of people contributing to the project. I, I, I think that uh, there are many people for whom it turns out that this. Uh, from a sort of technical perspective, life goes on. I mean, uh, people got very uh, emotional or passionate, I guess. I mean, uh, whichever word has the sort of more neutral connotation yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. in yeah, this context. Yes, yes. I, I mean, emotional sort of implies that uh, reason was thrown out of the window, which I one could discuss, but yeah. <laughs> maybe I don't want to. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I think that the project, uh, the project will carry on, and I, I don't know that, I mean. What are the, what are the BSD and the, uh, the other kernels going to do? 
Um, that's a good in system D. Uh, uh, system five in it. Um, so, I mean, Herd is actually just starting to use system five in it. They had some homebrew thing, so yeah. I guess they'll continue with that. And there is some. I don't know. There are very. I'm not very closely involved with the BSD effort, but there are various technical ideas flying around. Um, I think those ports have in my, you know, non-expert opinion, have a bigger problem of just lacking critical mass of users and developers. And um, so, you know, the system is one thing, but the bigger question is why can't we get all the packages built on on these ports, right? And and so from my point of view, that's the more serious question as to the viability of... So are you going to be working on the stand? uh, No, I'm I'm just here to talk to to people and uh, see some talks and uh, just another FOSDEM attendee. And leave all the minions here to uh, work (laughs) No, I wouldn't say minions. (laughs) So Christian is actually a big organizer. He won't admit it, but uh, he really is... uh, Well, he knows how to point. Right, you saw it. He just delegated excellently. but. So, uh, no, uh, so Christian is doing a great job of uh, keeping things going in Berlin on the local level. Okay. Listen, thank you very much for the interview. Hi, everybody. This is Ken. I've just spoken to the Debian project, and now I've moseyed down to uh, Puppet, the Belgium users group. I'm talking to... Johan. So, what is Puppet and what is the Belgium Users Group? Uh, Puppet is a configuration management tool and um, we are representing here all user groups all over the world. But since uh, this is a home run, um, I'm here presenting that. You you picked the short straw, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, what is uh, Puppet? You have an awful lot of books here. It must be a very important thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of important because uh, with Puppet you describe your infrastructure and then you deploy it. It's like um, um, coding your infrastructure. That's in uh, one sentence what Puppet is doing. So it's uh, for data centers and bringing up servers? For for every environment, small environments. um, At least if if you have two stations to manage two servers, then you already can use Puppet. The benefits of Puppet are standardizations. Um, Quite a lot of uh, public modules are already available. They are well tested. And um, you don't do it manually these days. And if you change, um, you, you, do, you do have quick changes, Puppet can do that for you. That's the great benefit of it. Okay, and this seems to me, uh, as I said, you have a lot of books here. Which one would you recommend to the, to the newest, newest um, person to uh, what would be a good intro? The, a, a good book at the moment, the Beginnings Guide for Puppetry, is very good. Yep. Um, there is a new one out from Packlip, uh, Essential Puppets, and that's a great one for beginners. Okay. And the Pro Puppets, uh, it starts also for beginners, but um, it advances in a, in a quick space, so it goes very fast. Um, I recommend it for, if you have played with Puppets a little bit, then go for the Pro Puppets. Um, the most advanced uh, Puppet book is uh, Extending Puppets. That's a great one if you work with Puppets for a couple of years. Okay. That's it. Perfect. Thank you very much for the interview and enjoy the rest of your show. Oh, you're welcome.
I'm at the OwnCloud booth. Now, for the two people that don't know what OwnCloud is, first of all, tell us who you are and what OwnCloud is. Hey, I'm Jan. I'm a designer for OwnCloud, and uh, OwnCloud is uh, basically like a self-hosted uh, file sharing and sync application. So essentially, it's like an open source replacement for Dropbox or Google Apps uh, that you can just put on your server and sync. But you all, you do files, you do mails, you do contacts. Yeah, we do files, we do a calendar, we do contacts. We don't do mail yet. Like we're working on an on an IMAP client, um, and uh, yeah, but that's not released yet. But we do. We also do news, like a, a basically a Google News Reader replacement, uh, notes, um, all that different stuff. And the, and the great thing is, people can submit their own apps, and um, we have an app store, so so it can be extended in any way. And what sort of a machine would you need in order to run this? Uh, just the usual server, like uh, preferably with a LAMP stack. So that's that's a preferred configuration. And then uh, OnCloud is written in PHP and JavaScript, so you can just uh, dump it on the server, just like WordPress, for example. Then install it um, with the MySQL database we we recommend. Um, and um, yeah, then you c can just run it. Installation is super easy. And then we have uh, desktop apps for for synchronizing the the files and uh, Android and iOS apps as well. So you can um, you could run it on a Raspberry Pi, for instance. Yeah, people do that as well. Yeah, I've I've also uh, been doing that at home, for example, like very low power, um, running yeah your own data from your own home where you know it. Is that not a bit slow and clunky? Uh, there is optimizations you can do for it, and there's lots of blog posts around describing how to run OnCloud correctly on a Raspberry Pi. So it's it's definitely doable. Yeah. So you could, for example, hypothetically, have a VPN into your own box, then connect your own Raspberry Pi, sync your own contacts, something like that. I assume that's possible. Yeah, yeah. I, we we recommend like over the Raspberry Pi. There's another thing called the Banana Pi that is a bit more powerful. Yeah. So maybe that's more more um, fit to that. But basically, Raspberry Pi yeah, is possible. Okay. So what is um, when when I hear about PHP and a LAMP stack, especially for home users who are running this sort of stuff, are we not running into dangers of security flaws and that your own information will be leaked onto the internet? Um, that's essentially what you're doing. You're putting all my personal contact information on, available on the internet. Well, if you host it on your on your own cloud, like, I mean, it's it's on your it's on your server, right? And uh, and the software is used by many people, and um, like the security of it is, is evaluated and stuff. So uh, we we don't do hosting, so we don't have your data. You have your own data, so um, yeah, it's inherently more secure than giving it to a U.S. company where where the NSA can spy on you. And that's exactly the point, right? You're you're on your own turf, and uh, yeah, you're not. Um, you're not at a company. You don't put your stuff anywhere else. But so the the issue I have with my with running my own my own version of own cloud is as soon as I shut the door to go on vacation, uh, the network goes down and then I'm completely screwed. How do I get around that? When, when Am I able to replicate to different instances? Uh, you have to do that manually at the moment. Like there's, it's not built into the into the project. Um, but yeah, I mean. Um, I, for example, I personally run a server, or, or I, I run it on a server, yep. and uh, so be also because uh, like lots of people actually at the booth have been uh, saying that their connection, their their home Wi-Fi connection, is too slow uh, to upload it. Uh, so that's another reason why it might be better for some people to run it on server. Um, and anything is possible there, right? You can you can run it on your own server or or um, at home. So yeah, there's, there's very different ways of running it. So the um, 
The NSA thing must have been the biggest advertising boom for you guys. Yeah, that's true. I mean, after that, we've seen a, a lot of new people and being interested in it. And, yeah. and I mean, a lot of new open source projects themselves have been cr uh, cropping up uh, since then. And yeah, that's, that's a really cool thing. I mean, because we've been saying that before even, like, I mean, because we kind of knew that uh, companies could look at the data, of course. I, I mean, we didn't know the extent of it and the NSA extent. But yeah, that's what we've been doing before. I mean, we've been around, we've just recently had our fifth anniversary, actually. So uh, Uncloud has been around for five years. And um, yeah, now more and more every year, uh, people notice that it's, that it's actually a good thing to host data on your own. So how difficult is it to install? What, what uh, distribution? Does it matter? Fedora, Red Hat, Debian? It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's if you ever installed WordPress or anything yeah. similar, it's, it's 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 even simpler, I would say. Um, simpler than yeah. installing WordPress. Yeah, I, I them's fighting words there. <laughs> so I mean, I'm the designer. I paid special attention to make the installation very very easy, and I would say yeah, it's it's might might be easier than WordPress. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so we have. I have the email address. It will be in the show notes for this episode. So uh, if anyone runs into any issues whatsoever, you can, you know who to contact. Um, are you given any talks at all, or are you going to be focused here on the booth? Yeah, so there's a lightning talk tomorrow um, by our founder at, like, I think, 12.40 um, in the lightning talks uh, uh, track. And um, tomorrow uh, I'll actually do, a, like, an open source design dev room, uh, and there uh, we'll talk about other, also other design-focused projects. Like, I'm not going to do, like, an cloud focused talk, but... Yeah, connect with other designers of open source projects. Okay, and I'll uh, do my best to put links for, to that into the show notes, but if I don't manage to do that, they will be on the FOSDEM site. Thank you very much for the interview, and uh, thank you very much for doing this. It's something that we definitely do need in the community. I'm talking to... And Jason Robinson. And this is called? A diaspora. Diaspora, that's right, of course it is. And Diaspora is like a Facebook clone. Um, it's, a, um, it's actually a software and a network. So it's, a, it's like um, you, can, you can run your own uh, server yeah. or you can uh, join an existing server and uh, together all the servers uh, create a network. So basically it's, it's a bit like uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and all the others. Only federated? Yes, federated. So basically um, uh, we com compare it to email uh, in the federation sense. So if you want to share with someone, uh, you have the diaspora handle and you uh, use that to search. And uh, then you find that person's details and then you can exchange private information. And uh, public posts, uh, uh, you can just uh, write them up and they go to other servers as need be. So what, what sort of a server do I need in order to run my own instance? If you want to run your own, uh, we recommend, uh, well, basically you will, you will need a virtual, uh, I mean a VPS. Uh, so pop, uh, shared hosting is not enough because it's uh, Ruby on Rails and there's background processing jobs. Uh, Basically, one gigabyte uh, RAM is uh, is enough for uh, a few users. But if you want to run uh, a more uh, uh, an open server which anyone can join, and then you uh, you need maybe uh, to scale it up as you go along. For example, I run my own server. I have um, 
uh, four gigabytes assigned to the to the instance. So that's database and um, and the Ruby on Rails. And uh, I have thirty users using it comf- comfortably. So so. And what sort of database is running underneath? Uh, MySQL or PostgreSQL. So you can. And you have the choice of other. Y- yes. And um, I was talking to one of the guys last night, and they mentioned that there's a a initiative now for Diaspora and Pump.io and Status.net to um, share underlying protocols. Are you are you aware of that? Yeah. Um, actually, there's. Um, there's actually two things happening. So um, there's diaspora and um, and some other uh, uh, sort of social media software. Uh, Friendica and Red Matrix are the two others, and they actually um, share uh, with diaspora in the same language. So if you use uh, Friendica, Red Matrix, or diaspora, uh, all the users can connect to each other and. Uh, uh, depending on the features of the host, they can uh, send photos and so on, and they will arrive at the at the other end. Uh, but there's also another initiative uh, led by W3C. Uh, uh, they're creating a social APA and a set of protocols to allow any um, any net site or or application to talk in the same language. And uh, hopefully, in the future, uh, we can uh, we can change the diaspora network protocol to support that, and uh, that would allow for um, that would uh, allow for uh, different sites to uh, federate with uh, a project like diaspora or, or um, other projects. So, how long have you been involved with the project? I've been involved uh, since 2012. Uh, Diaspora was uh, originally uh, uh, set up by um, four U.S. students in uh, New York, and um, uh, they they gave the project uh, to the community in 2012. And uh, since then, uh, I've been uh, one of the people uh, in the like the core core community driving driving the Diaspora development. So there's a there's um, we have uh, quite a global contributor uh, network, uh, mostly in uh, Europe and uh, US, of course, but uh, a lot of Europe-based contributors at the moment. Okay, and how many people are on the entire network, would you guess, Mid? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> in the end, it's difficult to say because it's... Um, uh, yes, and uh, anyone can create a... Uh, we call them pods, and uh, anyone can create a pod. But uh, we do have uh, opt-in statistics, uh, basically uh, from the registered users, uh, it's uh, uh, 86,000 uh, was the last, in the last six months, active users. Okay, that's pretty good. But well, we have the the old hurdle, like my grandmother isn't going to be on, uh, is on yeah. Facebook, but not on Diaspora. <laughs> so when is there going to be like the Facebook plugin that we can uh, connect to Facebook? Um, probably in the core software, never, <laughs> uh, because simply uh, th- there's the uh, issue that Facebook would probably not even want to want that to happen. Uh, but uh, you can you can post from uh, Diaspora to uh, Facebook, so there's an outgoing APA using the normal Facebook uh, app, app uh, authorization uh, things. Um, but I think Diaspora is not 
good for the use case if you want to talk to your grandmother because um, she'll most likely be on Facebook and that's good for that kind of stuff. Uh, Facebook works well for uh, family relationships but uh, Diaspora is good for uh, following interesting people, uh, following subjects. You can search for example hashtag Linux and uh, you will see lots of posts about Linux. Uh, from people you don't know and then you can get to know them and follow follow them and uh, talk with them and so on. So if I brought up a, a no, node, a pod? Yeah. Pod? Yes. Okay. Pod. If I brought up a pod, then would I be able to search on other pods? How, how would that be automatically? How does that work? Um, yes and no. It happens over time. So basically when you when you create a pod, it doesn't know about anyone. So it's, it's like you create an email address and uh, nothing... It's, it's empty, you don't get any email. Uh, but when you start uh, following people on other pods, uh, information uh, starts to uh, reach your pod. So it's on a, it, uh, the federation happens on a, on a level of uh, personal relations. So, for example, if, if, um, if you register on a, a German pod, for example, or let's say a, a pod that has uh, lots of German users, then it's more likely you will have uh, access to public posts uh, in German language because um, that pod will uh, will suck them in from the rest of the network. So it's a, it's a yes and no. Most <laughs> I'm interested to uh, put up one, and if you're ever interested in doing a show on how to easily install it um, you can do upload that to HPR so um, are you going to be giving any talks here or no we, we actually um, uh, just registered the table as a, like a <laughs> last, last, last minute uh, these are the people who got the HPR table <laughs> yeah. we, we, uh, we just um, because the, many people think that the project like died a few yeah. years ago when when the original um, uh, people who set up Diaspora uh, project uh, stopped working on it, uh, but there's a really active community working on it, so we wanted to be at force them to uh, to like be visible to to people. So uh, it's kind of busy here, so I will uh, continue on and yeah. let you uh, get back to your route. Thank you very much for the interview, and uh, good luck with the rest of the show. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.